Okay, guys, so we're probably going to get started. Welcome to my first attempt at a live feed. It is uh, so far going reasonable. Um, we're here to talk. Uh, let me give you guys some background. Um, this week, about 100 different members of the international parkour community were meant to be landing in stock. And what they were meant to be doing is they were meant to be getting ready for um, art of retreat next week. We can't have that because there is an international pandemic going on. So I thought, what a great idea. Why don't I just sit down with a few of my friends and ask them questions on Facebook Live and see if I can learn some interesting things. So uh, the first people who were super keen to do this, um, first person was Victor, um, and then he volunteered Andy. Uh, and then Andy said, okay, if I have to. Um, and so we're here. Um, so let me give you an introduction to these two wonderful men. Andy Day is an internationally published photographer specializing in adventure sports, travel, architectural, and landscape photography. He's been, he's been photographing physical interaction with the city since 2003. Andy lives in the woods in France with his wife, who is significantly more impressive than him in nearly every way. Victor Anderson is a Swedish photographer who believes that photography is a lot like baking bread. He's been working under the name Grafikeriet since 2006 and moved into the photography industry full-time in 2014. He's best known for his piercing portraits and parkour photography. So Andy, do you want to start? Do you want to tell me a little bit about the very first days of parkour? Um, yeah, sure. When was the first so, time you began capturing parkour? Sorry, you, Andy. So I was studying in Birmingham, at Birmingham University in the UK back in 2003. And one of the modules that I was doing as part of this master's degree that I had no idea, um, well, I, I probably should never have started, but never finished. But basically one of the modules, the elective modules was about writing um, about the role of the city in film. So we were looking at uh, various, ways of portraying film, uh, portraying city in films over the course of the history of cinema. And I'd randomly seen this thing on TV, um, I think possibly Ripley's Believe It or Not, around about that time. And, 2001. Um, I just wondered if it was something that I could talk about as part of the, as part of the research paper that I would then write. Um, for this module and my tutor was into skateboarding and weird things in the city and he said yeah yeah go see what you can find out um so i started researching found a lot of really badly designed french websites and uh, eventually stumbled upon urban free flow which had been going for about two months at that stage um and they were just about to meet up for the third time ever and I asked if I could tag along. And so I drove down to London, I picked up uh, Blue Devil along the way in Reading. And um, yeah, spent the day uh, jumping around in London. And just as part of the trip, I took a camera with me, having never really used it properly before and took a load of photographs. And on that day in London, we almost got arrested a couple of times, jumping around the back of Liverpool Street Station. I uh, went to the Barbican, went back to Liverpool Street Station, where we were jumping the Leap of Faith, as it was called back then. And this was with Acid and Bam and Kirby and Easy and, yeah, the Cyans and a load of other people. What was funny is that it, a, a couple of, like, let's say a handful of anarchists turned up thinking that we were going to do something, you know, slightly subversive and politically, you know, um, yeah, politically anarchic, I guess. 
I think they were a bit disappointed just to find a bunch of uh, teenagers who wanted to just jump between rooftops, making weird shapes in the air as they went. Uh, that, that was it. That was the first time. It was a crazy day. It was a really bizarre day. Um, and those are my earliest images. So do you have any images from back then? Yeah, I know you've I got can, your little folder I in front of you. What's your first, what's the oldest parkour photo photograph that you have? That's an interesting one for me. Um, ooh, well, it's really hard to say. It's probably, let me see if I can find. Maybe the oldest one that you still use. I mean, there's, there's loads that I still use, I guess. Let's have a look. Um, is that showing up? I guess hopefully it should be. Um, yeah, I see it. Excellent. Whoa. Cool. So, ah, uh, yeah, 2003 climbups. I remember those. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they were they were terrible. Although Paul Joseph, bless him, Paul Joseph, like AKA Blue Devil, who as many will recall, I mean, member of Storm Free Run, and then spent a number of years being the guy in Top Gear Live who would do the front flip over the Lamborghini as it was speeding towards him. He was insanely, insanely talented and incredibly strong. So he was probably, like out of all of the guys who trained that day, he was like just on a completely different level uh, to everyone else by far. Cool. So Victor, how did you get into parkour? Uh, get to get into parkour or parkour photography? Um, one and the other but basically parkour was a bit later here in, in sweden uh, than in the rest of the world so i think it was 2000, 2006 where we had just started seeing these videos of david bell and people running around rooftops and i started a new school and then my new classmates asked me like what do you do for fun i'm like oh no, nothing much but this thing where they run on rooftops sounds cool and they were like yeah that's parkour come train with us it's really fun we do this every sunday at 12 come here and join us and i'm like oh okay i guess i will and yeah then one thing led to another and now i'm here um it's not that it's not very it's not more interesting actually you have a bunch of teenagers pretty much like like andy but without the photographer because i did not have a camera back then um so what got you into photography then what got you into photographing parkour, photographing people? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, because I'm like, to this day, I'm not really sure because I got a camera when I, I was studying arts to start. Uh, I was studying uh, design and, and illustration and we had photography as well. So I got a camera for my 18th birthday, uh, never used it much, never liked photography. I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, thought that photography was cheating to create art um, but then um, I realized that painting is hard and the camera like I spoke to me more and I could buy new cameras that increased my potential. And as I was doing parkour every week after school uh, and after I, I quit school, I did after work, uh, I always brought my camera with me. And um, whenever I didn't want to join into a, a, an exercise, whether it's technical or conditioning, I brought forward my camera and took pictures of the other people doing it as an excuse for not participating because I didn't want to be the guy who just stood at the side and didn't want to do it. So I used the camera as an excuse. Um, so I think that that was what started. Then we created an Instagram and I started posting my images there and people liked them. And 
then much later years later i started uh, i quit my job to i wanted to be do it do photography and design freelance like full time and i had got in my hands on some very expensive gear and i did not know how to use it so i started inviting friends and family and just tried to make their portraits for exercise i wanted to make their facebook profile pictures and that was like so much fun so i just kept doing it once every week just taking portraits of people in my apartment and i got a studio and then yeah, it escalated and now i'm here cool talking to to youtube um it's yeah so what what drives you guys to continue taking photographs honestly yeah like yeah i go first i have talked a bunch man <laughs> uh, honestly it's just like i mean both me and Andy does this professionally so of course there is this incentive that we need to actually make money um at least for me but i can what confirm I, why that I, andy is terrible at making money with photographs yeah me too but it's still it's still, it's still there um however it's in the in the end it's just the love of it in the like just doing something creative using the camera as my tool to like shape people and light and movement into something that is more tangible uh, to me um And even like as the more I work with it, the more I try to do like do commercial clients. I sometimes have to, especially when I have a lot of commercial work, and it remind myself why I do it and try and find ways to have the the passion of it come through and like actually just do it for myself. Because when you have clients coming in and paying you, you do it for their sake and trying to fulfill their um, their criteria. Um, so sometimes I need to like just remind me, okay, why am I doing this? I do this because. Yeah, I, I love doing it. I love creating, creating stuff with the camera. But that's complicated, actually. <laughs> uh, I guess that's over to me. Um, yeah, I mean, making money out of it is probably quite low down on my list of priorities from it, just because I'm not commercially minded at all, uh, which is both... Um, like it's an advantage and a disadvantage. I mean, it keeps you quite free and keeps you like quite creative, I guess. But at the same time, trying to make it something that's sustainable is pretty hard. So, you know, I like photographing what I like photographing and I tend not to stray too far outside of that very often, which is uh, both a mistake and a joy. So, you know, this is part of my profession, but it's not entirely my profession. But in terms of what motivates me, um, it's people and places um very simply uh like the people you meet the the guys that you that i go out and photograph with are you know usually really good friends of mine they're exceptional people um both in terms of who they are and what they can do and inevitably inevitably being involved in parkour you just want to go to amazing places parkour for me is you know all about travel all about uh connecting with different people in different places um and uh yeah trying to create something beautiful as a result of that um so cool. for me the, what i was going to say what i should have added with the when i was introducing like the early days is that it'll be the same it sounds like it's the same for victor kind of i know parkour through photography and i know photography through parkour like the two are inseparable really it's kind of one shapes my understanding of the other um and yeah you just want to 
create something new and exciting and produce images that are an inspiration and show you know the human body doing weird things that in places that it's never done those weird things before um, and often the stranger and more obscure and more beautiful the better so you've both mentioned people as being a really important part of this and the subjects being something that really interests you and kind of pulls you into it. Um, now, Victor, I've had the pleasure of being photographed by you up close and personal, and it was quite an intense experience. Um, do you do you feel like you thrive off those like moments of connection where you're really trying to represent someone? Is it that that you're looking for in it, or is there something else about the process that really gets you interested in people I think how, how long do we have do I have time for this? Um, basically something I, I, I yes of course I really love the connection you can create and I, I love the camera to be a medium uh, to create a connection that is different from just a, a conversation um, however like when we did the, the we had the pleasure this summer when I did your portrait that we already had kind of a relationship already we knew each other uh, whenever I do portraits with people I don't know like artists or actors I prefer to have like half an hour of just having a coffee and talking to them beforehand because um, with that as a base I can use the, the camera as a medium to create a deeper connection and that is yeah that is pretty much what I mean when I say I love meeting people in photography the connection I make with the images and creating something with another person because I never I truly believe that there's never just one person taking a portrait it's always at least two people it's the me who ha who has the, the tool and the person that is being portrayed uh, and it's the collaboration between us in how they pose and how they want the images and how I see them and they see me uh, sorry <laughs> and they get seen uh, through the with, through the camera um, that is together what makes a good portrait um, and I have, when I started doing portraits more seriously, uh, I was, now Andy had, probably has better facts here, but I think it was the um, uh, Chinese philosopher Confucius who said that every person is three people. It's the one they see as themselves. It is the one that other people see, and then the one they actually are, um, like the one you can't shape. You have the one you want to do, you think like I want to do like be like this I want to look like this I want to talk like this and then I have the one that everyone's watching this see see me right now and then we have the one that is like instinctive the one the natural level like the core that comes out through all this and the idea he had was when all these three personas like merge and become one that is when you reach like nirvana or like one unit or something and I took that thought because I liked the idea of it and try to see it and said like, if I can have all these personas be clearly visible in a photo, then, it's, then that, that is where I have captured the true meaning of that person in a way. Um, long, long story short, yeah. <laughs> so do you see, it's really interesting because um, when I talk with Andy about this sometimes, like he gets a bit funny about the word truth when it comes to taking a photo of someone, especially mm -hmm. when you're taking off a lot of them. Like Andy, how do you feel about that idea of looking for the truth of a person with a photograph? Um, yeah, I mean, truth is a, a very strange thing. There is no one truth. Certainly in photography, you're not going to find truth there necessarily. I really like what Victor was saying about Confucius. I've not come across that before. It really ties in with 
uh, some of what I've studied in the past. So if you think of Irving Goffman and the presentation of self in everyday life, uh, in that when you step out of the door, you're immediately putting on a performance. Now, whether there's ever a moment in your life when you're not performing, uh, when you're in the company of others, uh, it would be difficult to, it would be an interesting kind of argument to, to explore and how you represent that um, and where your identity comes from in relationship to those performances, these kind of personas that you put on every time you, you, you are in the company of others. Um, you know, photography has, uh, um, you know, a kind of a complex relationship with those different uh, personas. So to hear Victor talking about that is really, really interesting. And whether you can, I, you know, I think Victor will probably agree, you can strive to find that one unity, you can strive to find that truth, but you're not necessarily going to find it, you're just going to find different layers of it. Yeah, um, it's very hard. And truth in photography is this really unstable concept um, because uh, we were chatting about this uh, before in the build-up to this. Uh, you know, a lot of my photographs um, are not necessarily honest portrayals of what is happening. You know, so the wide-angle lens will exaggerate the size of a jump and will make it look more impressive. And also, you know, I remember I used to get so bored in the debates as to what constitutes parkour, whether you're doing parkour, whether you are practicing parkour, you know, whether you're training for parkour, like the, the kind of different layers. So if I'm photographing someone who's doing a jump or a movement that is contrived and is for the camera, is that parkour? Am I photographing a portrayal of parkour? It's like, I mean, you kind of get lost in the in the semantics and in, in terms of the, the terminology. It doesn't really matter in the end. But you know, photography um, has, even if it's dishonest, it can tell a truth through dishonesty. So sometimes it's actually possible yeah. to give a greater sense of what is true through something that is actually not honest. And there's quite a nice example of this that I like to uh, mention. There's a Vietnam War fiction author by the name of Tim O'Brien. He talks about uh, the period leading up to his visit to Vietnam and the summer he spent working in a meat processing factory where he was basically slaughtering animals, coming home, stinking of blood and rotting animal flesh. And just this really horrible job that he worked for a couple of months before then in September, he decided to try and escape into Canada and avoid being conscripted and have this encounter on the border with Canada and eventually was convinced to turn back in that summer. He got back from this you know, near escape and then decided to go to Vietnam. Everyone's like, oh, wow, that sounds like a really intense time, like, you know, where you were you know, slaughtering animals and tried to escape across the border. And he said, yeah, none of it's true. I was just, I just spent a lot of time playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of those stories conveys a better notion of the trauma he went through in the months building up to being conscripted than the actual truth, which was just spent, you know, not sleeping much and playing golf really badly. Um, so, you know, the, this little story that he tells conveys much better an idea of what he went through emotionally yeah. as an individual than, you know, the truth. So, and photography works on a similar level to that sometimes. Um, you know, the, I was just writing recently about a very famous portrait taken by Dorothea Lange of uh, the migrant worker, the migrant mother, 
and how she wasn't actually a migrant at all. It's an incredibly famous photograph from, I think, 1930s. Um, and it kind of represented so much in, in terms of early 20th century American history. And it turns out that she wasn't who the photograph claimed her to be. But the truth of this, it still represented something that was happening. It's just that the small details weren't exactly accurate. So yeah, going back to your question in terms of truth and authenticity in the photograph, it's something that's unstable. It's something that's kind of up for grabs. It's up for debate. It's kind of slippery and, and difficult to deal with. Um, but that's both photography's downfall and its beauty as well. So when you guys, when either of you steps forward with the camera or the setup, um, how much of this idea of <clears throat> truth do you have? Do you have this idea of, I want to capture something meaningful about this person that represents how they see themselves? Or do you think I want to create something beautiful and I'm not too worried about the story that it tells? Like, because you're talking about it like storytelling. Are you trying, are you looking for a story to tell or are you trying to capture something and then not worry too much about the story it tells? When I, when I do portraits, I usually say um, that a portrait where you, whether the um, portrait of person uh, doesn't like the portrait or doesn't like um, relate to the image of themselves, then it's a useless, um, it's a useless portrait actually. Like if you're looking on, on the, uh, this, I don't know the name of it, but you pro probably know this big painting of Napoleon crossing the English canal. Uh, it sounds like very pompous with a big flag and a lot of people in a rowboat. Um, or if it's, I don't know, it's maybe that's another painting. Uh, it's a beautiful painting in a way of Napoleon. Um, and if, if he were asking the painter to paint it to him, then a painter wouldn't make it that pompous and that like awesome looking, then why would he even ask, be asked to do it? So make, when you make a photo, um, you have to see to the person that, let's tell me if I'm spraying too much, of course, uh, this truthful thing. Um, they need to be be able to relate to the image of themselves because if I take a picture and they won't use it for whatever reason, then it's like then it would just rot away in the hard drive somewhere. Then it then it, then it won't be yeah it won't be useful. It won't have any value more than maybe to me who took it because if it won't be truthful to the person the person who believe it or to the person who are going to use it then. And it will, then it will be forgotten, so to say. So you're seeing the portrait as doing a service to that person. Is that something that you see as fundamentally part of the portrait business, or is it something that you see as the way you look at photography as a whole? Um, I think, I think I, I agree a lot with Andy on the the thing with you create like, like as you said that a truth truthful image nothing doesn't necessarily have to be truth in the moment it's taken, but it can be still still be representing a, a wider truth. Um, I agree uh, with that a lot. Um, however, when I do, especially like parkour photography, I really enjoy trying to make the image as truthful as possible in camera, um, like adding uh, adding features or like editing in a way that makes it like that is tilting it to be a more like daredevilly or awesome. Then that's um, I don't think that is actually uh, helpful for. The community and for how we view images as a whole. I think it's uh, in a way is a photographer's duty to try to the best of the knowledge to portray the, the, the truth even though how you 
accomplish that is somehow sometimes um, there's different ways to accomplish the truth it doesn't have to be like here i took this frame and it's unedited and this is the truth i think on the contrary it's usually the opposite that one single photo is never the truth because it's already been framed it's been uh, ed uh, not, not edited by extra software but by how i use the camera uh, i have portrayed my version of this scene or this truth so it is when I present you an unedited photo, it's still my truth you're seeing, the one the, what I chose to capture in timing and, and composition. However, when I do that, I would still have to think, okay, this is the truth I'm I'm taking, and if, when I'm editing 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 this, how can I enhance the truth with the way I saw it or the way I think? It's it's a lot, a lot of a lot of what I think because as Andy said, truth is a matter of there's different truths. Um, I think it's our duty to try and portray the the best truth to ourselves. Does that make sense? Don't you um, don't you risk falling into this this twenty first century hole of the emotional truth through this sort of thinking? Though it's kind of, it feels like it's it's got that that ease to kind of fall into this place where people can be like, well, what actually happened is unimportant. How it made me feel is this, and then you end up in a place where you're denying reality and separating yourself off and trying to tell your own story, no matter what is really going on. Andy, you're smiling like I've asked a question you well, like thinking about. I, I, I think there is a danger of that. I mean, I, I should emphasize I'm not, you know, I say some of my images are staged, but there's nothing fundamentally dishonest about what's happening in my photographs. I agree with uh, Victor in what he was saying about um, you know, the need to present something that is not necessarily altered. I mean, there's very little editing that goes into my photographs um, generally. Um, but I think when you start, I think you've got to, you know, give your audience a degree of respect. You've got to assume that they're coming, they're arriving at your images with a very sophisticated understanding of how images work. And um, is Andy freezing for you too? Andy dropped out. Andy has frozen and he's disappeared. Andy is back. back. Am I back? I'm You're back. back. Sorry. This is this is what comes of living in a forest in rural France. Um, so what what I was going to say? What was I going to say? Um, yeah, basically, um, your viewers, uh, you've got to assume that they they have a degree of knowledge that they bring. And they, if you try and fool them, if you're being dishonest or if you're manipulating images, they'll see through it. Um, you know, they're, they're in, you know, people who know parkour, people who know photography, they, they understand. If you start um, tweaking stuff in a dishonest way, then you know, you're going to get called up on it sooner or later. And people are going to be like, really? So, yeah. And I feel, I'm, I'm also like, as you know, I'm also a parkour coach and I have a, point, a situation in the community where I care a lot about how parkour is portrayed. So I feel it's also very important to create images that resonate with people who doesn't necessarily know parkour. I want the pictures to be stunning. So like a non-parkour, a non-athlete friend can see it and be like, wow, that is a cool image. I want to do what that person is doing. Um, but it's still important to make it true, a truthful image, as to say that even if it's staged, as Andy says, it's still something that you can do and something that is not exaggerated via um, um, software or um, whatever. Um, 
making sure that it's still an amazing photo, but still something that is within the reach of, of people. That is, I think, important for the community to see authentic pictures that are really cool. Because I think that people who don't do parkour, they see, see parkour as something like, wow, it's cool. It's, it has this wow factor on it. It looks then dangerous and thrilling. But as we know, practicing parkour, that is like, 99% not very thrilling. It's very low level. It's a lot of conditioning, but that is taking pictures of that is important too for the community. But it's not necessarily that kind of photos that will attract the uh, uninterested viewer. So that's something I enjoy a lot, taking these interesting photos of something that will attract an, uh, an um, everyday person, um, but still have it achievable for everyday person as well. Cool. I'm going to maybe try and pull us a little bit away from this very ephemeral idea of truth because while we're having fun, I realize that um, we'll just wander off into navel gazing. And instead, kind of, um, I want to pull you guys back. We've been asked a couple of questions about this on the Facebook live feed mm -hmm. about um, how you feel about different kinds of photography. So, one of the questions was, uh, how do you feel about bouldering photography versus parkour photography? I think versus bouldering photography. And I kind of, the way I want to phrase that to both of you is, do you take different values and outlooks into different kinds of photographic work? So do you always approach photographic work with a similar sort of mindset, which is this idea of honesty, or if you're asked to photograph an event versus doing something for your fun, or you're trying to do something specific, what values, what ideas do you have in your mind as you step into these environments? Um. I don't think there's ever really a conscious decision on those things. I mean, just, I know you wanted to drag the conversation away, but just going back to what Victor was saying before, the, the, well, this will, this will tie in actually quite nicely, but if you're photographing an event, uh, if I'm photographing an event, I wanna give something personal to the people who are taking part. Now having photographed parkour quite a lot for the last, wow, yeah, we were almost 17 years to the day, that's terrifying. Um, the actually it is yeah it is almost anyway 17 years of the day the you know, photographing elite athletes doing amazing things is pretty straightforward like you know you still have to work hard you still have to have a lot of technical knowledge you still it still helps if you're in an amazing location but trying to create striking parkour images of beginners who are attending an event and are you know not moving particularly well and are very self-conscious there's a lot of satisfaction to be gained in finding a photograph of them that makes them look heroic and a step bolt is Agreed, absolutely totally. wonderful for this um yeah. and you know for me what's changed a lot in the last five or ten years in my photography is an importance to photograph people who are not this archetype of you know looking at this conversation now middle class white athletic men um, so being able to go to, um, just describe myself as athletic, <laughs> we'll find that funny. Um, but hopefully you take my point in that the importance of representation within parkour, um, you know, it is dominated, you know, the imagery, the visual culture of parkour is dominated by certain bodies and events gives you that opportunity to produce different imagery. And I'd say that that's one of the big differences in terms of mindsets, in terms of um, something that's shifted for me over the last maybe five or six years, 
And I, I'm privileged to be able to photograph Women's International Park All Weekend and the Copenhagen Girls Gathering. And those are two women's events um, where the vibe is very different. Um, not that, not necessarily in a, that the vibe at other events isn't as good. It's just very different. And it just allows you to um, create something that you know, really has a purpose as well. Uh, like it's all very well me heading out with some mates and taking some pretty pictures of them for their portfolio. But if you go to a batch of women who are all training together and they come away with these really striking images of them looking heroic and in control and athletic and proud and strong, then you're actually giving, um, giving this event a lot of value, giving them a lot of value as well, uh, without wanting to sound too patronizing. Um, but you know, creating imagery that really doesn't exist. I think that's one of the big things that's changed for me. Mm -hmm. How do you see that, Victor, the, the idea of turning up to an event? And do you do the same as Andy? You sort of turn up and you try and capture something meaningful or do you kind of look for something else in the experience? I think it's a combination of try, trying to capture the vibe of a, an event. Uh, so that like when people looking looking both people who were there and people who wasn't there can look back onto the event and like get a general idea of how it would have feel, felt being there uh, but then i also agree with andy 100 percent like the images i usually um hold dearest to me are the ones where i can capture someone that might be a bit insecure about their movement or um maybe that not that like as andy said like much of an athlete but they look like super hardcore doing something very daredevilly uh, and working with my composition and, and light and how, how I, um, when I time the photo to create an image that is 100% true and, but sometimes maybe exaggerate this, exaggerate this um, uh, awesomeness of the, of the movement. As Andy says, the step walk is a perfect move because you can basically do it standing still and it will look really cool. Um, and those are the pictures that people usually take away with them. Uh, I have had like parents coming to me after events like, hey, I really like this image. Can I have it? Can I buy it? Can I print it? Uh, of their kids, though, of course, or, or their teenagers. Um, so I think that definitely, definitely, yeah. Uh, however, I would say I do shift my, my ideal a bit when doing like very commercial uh, uh, photo shoots for like advertising and stuff. Because then the, the clients have a very specific need in the photo and they don't care if the people in the photo uh, like the photo because the photo is supposed to be like on, an, on a website or on LinkedIn or something. Um, so some, some photos I do commercially, I, we set up like very set up environment where, where I control the light a lot. And the idea is not it's to portray a truth in itself, but it's not to portray the truth of the people in it, but more of the people arranging it or the people that we use the photo later on. So there, 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 the shift is still, it's a little bit shifty, but I'm still not doing anything. I wouldn't say I'm lying in the photos, but then again, all photos is in a way a lie. So. <laughs> I, can so I just go can... back to your original question? Uh, you were asking about the difference with buildering, uh, which if people aren't aware is climbing buildings. It's a portmanteau of bouldering and buildering. And the, I wouldn't say the mindset of shooting is different. I mean, you have to work differently because if you lie on the floor with a wide angle lens and look up, you just get a lot of shots of people's backsides, which isn't necessarily what you want. But the- Or maybe it is. Or maybe it is. No. But the, with parkour, <laughs> parkour, one of the nice things about parkour is that it's 
it's easily understandable to anyone. You see someone jumping, even if uh, someone seeing that photograph cannot jump, they understand what is happening. Buildering and climbing photography generally is very different because you have no idea from seeing a photograph, and often very oftentimes no idea from a video, how hard or how physically demanding or how dangerous something is. Uh, I mean, unless it's the skyscraper, um, but even that, you know, the subtleties are, are quite, you know, there's a lot of nuance there. Um, but with buildering, you know, trying to convey an energy in a photograph that is often very static and also totally incomprehensible to someone who doesn't know that location or know about climbing is very different. So that actually kind of takes us in an interesting and slightly different direction from where I was planning on going because um, one of the more interesting things about your photography, photography specifically, Andy, is it's often not about the subject or rather the subject is not the person. It's actually more to do with the architecture, more to do with the place they're in. And instead, often you sort of put someone in the photo and it almost seems to be your monuments project is a great example of this. Like the person in the photo is almost like not that relevant in many ways. What are you looking to do there? What are you thinking about when you're taking those photos? Is it different from this idea that you've chosen so far? Well, the I mean, the monument is is its own story. I could talk about that for hours, and that's kind of an extension of of you know what my approach to parkour and building photography has been, which is that you know the. And I guess that part of this is a rejection of the more, I guess, maybe, I mean, I hate the word narcissistic, but that's what it, it's probably the best one I've got to hand at the moment, kind of the more self-congratulatory kind of uh, heroic uh, photography that, you know, is a staple part of my portfolio, but just to kind of shift the emphasis towards it being about, um, you know, every band rather than a specific individual. But actually what's probably more important than that is that the you know, parkour is not just about what you as an individual are doing, it's about your relationship with the space. And the, you know, as Julie Angel says, that the environment is the co-player in this game. It's not that you're out there conquering a space, you're in conversation with the environment, you're building relationship with it. And if parkour wasn't, you know, to do with that environment, then all of my photographs would just take place in a studio, or it would be, you know, it would effectively be dance photography on a stage or, you know, in a very controlled environment. But it's not, it's actually out there on the street, on the side of a building, on a rooftop, uh, or, you know, it could be, you know, in a playground, it doesn't matter where it is, but it's about your interaction with that space. Um, so for me, yeah, the architecture is as important as the athlete. And the athlete is often an incidental part of that photograph. You know, very often the athlete will be just a small part of the frame. So, Victor, that kind of throws it back on you, because obviously we've been talking a lot about your portrait photography and how you mm -hmm. as an individual try and capture the truth of a person. But you also have a quite extensive portfolio, obviously, of parkour. Um, mm -hmm when you have that extra dimension in your photography what changes for you what are you trying to do does it have, give you a different conversation um it's a good question um it's actually quite fun because I was, i've been doing i mean i think i've been doing like parkour photography you know let's say let's say parkour photography basically 
for like uh, wrong situation mark there. Anyway, um, seriously for maybe eight years or so. Uh, yeah, seriously, yeah. Um, and like when I was 22 something, I, I just have to say, uh, I think I said that to Andy before, but he was like the main inspiration for me and he still is in many ways. But back then it was like, it was the, the epitome of good for core photography was this elusive Andy day. Uh, and I still remember someone at Pika Jen said like, oh yeah, that's Andy's photo, he's over there. I'm like, is that Andy? And then I accidentally went up to Andy Pearson in Pika Jen and asked him about photography, which was a bit of a mistake. Um, anyway, <laughs> then, then I started going, going on about these portraits. Hi, Miso. The dog here wants attention. Okay. So I went, I went about these portraits and like fighting to be, become like a portrait photographer. And I wanted to be uh, known for lighting and expression and mood, which I did not want to be here. Um, but the more I worked about that, I still did parkour photography, but it was not my focus. So, but I still wanted to be the parkour, not sorry, the portrait person. But I, I didn't manage to do that. People still knew me as the parkour guy or that, that guy who shoots parkour and does parkour. So I think it was last year I started to try and see if I could incorporate them and do maybe do a portrait in parkour. Uh, I was thinking about something I wanted to call like an action portrait. Um, and so, because since, since I, I, uh, me myself, I enjoy the, the capability of hum, humans and, and people in uh, the capability of moving or and being adapt, adaptive to their environment. Um, in my early days, I, most, many of my photos was more like Andy because I was so inspired by him. I have a lot of photos where I have a big, I can actually show you if I share my screen here, one of my earliest photos that I'm still quite um, happy with. Um, let's see here, if I do this. Um, do you see my finder now? I do. Yes, then if we go here, and this one was a very early photo for me where I went out, I wanted to capture a mood and I, pretty much found this cityscape and I added this, had Martin here in the middle. And I, this was what I thought was a very Andy-esque photo in many ways, because I remember Andy saying somewhere or someone saying that Andy said that a good parkour photo would be a good photo even without the practitioner. And I think that resonated a lot with me. So that was something I strove, strived to do for, for a very long time. But the more I wanted to do the, um, um, uh, the more I wanted to do um, portraits, the more my fascination of the person doing the, 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 um, the movement uh, rose. And I wanted to try and see if I could center them more in the photos and make the, the fascination of the movement rather than the, um, the relationship to the, the, the environment more apparent. I still wanted to be there because as Andy said, if I don't care about the environment, then I should be in the studio where I am right now. I should do the photos like on a white backdrop. Uh, so it's not that the architecture is not there in my photo. It's more like that I like to have the, the, the expression of the person moving more in focus. Um, that is something I'm still struggling a lot with trying to find the right composition and the right balance between having the person very um, center and still having touches of uh, the arch architecture um, in the photo. Um, I can show another if you don't mind, uh, of that I did this summer, uh, where I think it was one of the first ones I found were um, one of these action portraits. We got this one I did of Brandy Laird from um, Seattle, I think, which is this one. This one was one yeah, of the first. Yeah, this is a great like, photo. It's one of my favorites to date. Um, 
if you want to know the, the photography side of it, I have ner nerd galore uh, on how I did it. Um, but this uh, way, Victor, it's um, it's showing is sort of only half a shot. I can see Brandy's leg. Can you uh, maybe zoom out? Uh, I let's see. Let's do like this, and this, and this, and that. This one. The hey, there we go. That's that's yeah. Brandy. Uh, yeah, so, so so basically, this is the first one I captured that I, I felt personally is something I could call what I want to be an action portrait because you can clearly see Brandy, her resolute in the in the movements. Then you can see the the speed and the and the determination in the movement she's doing. Um, while she's still she's still not inside, it's still very like adaptable movement she's doing. Um, that's that's something I'm still struggling with, trying to not perfect, but trying to move into more, and trying to make pictures where you can relate a lot more with the person doing the move. Um, it feels like it's very representative of who she, well, how she likes to portray herself and who she thinks she is. It, that's kind of it gives one, me yeah. that vibe, mm. which yeah, speaks a lot to the I... same way you think about portrait photography in some ways. Yeah, and then then I can say, well, like when I, me and Brandy have been shooting uh, before in in uh, in Boston as well, uh, and when I had the idea of this, I was like, yeah, this this picture I I want uh, want to shoot Brandy for, uh, because of her general style and how she um, yeah talks and moves and things. Um, so I think this one turned out very well. Um, another one similar to this one, I uh, did a couple of uh, the screen sharing stuff. Is the one I did of Brandon. Uh, this one, which is also, it's, it's, it's what this was like when I started getting these ideas of um, of these portraits, action portraits. Um, I started getting them to what is it I want to do? What is the, what is the kind of photo I want to take? Without having to like verbalize it, this was I think the beginning of how I started looking into what's funny. I just love that photo. I've not seen it before. I just the, oh, yeah. the half the half bright, half dark sky, Brandon in shades. Yeah, so yeah. much right about that. It's um, I I, I love this photo, and it's, it's to this day it's still one of my my favorites. And it I think it's representative because I think when I went to this trip, this is in Austin, in Texas. Uh, I went into this idea of having the subject more centered in my photos, more like boom, here is the person. Um, doing something. And so I think this one tilted me more toward what, what I call an action portrait. Um, this is also quite fun when we're talking about truth in photography, because in this picture, there's actually, in the original picture, it's actually two very large um, lampposts behind him that I edited out because I felt they did not contribute to the uh, picture and they, to, they, removing them wouldn't make the picture less true. Um, that's long talk about. So, about that. can I ask what might seem like a a rather simple question, but it feels like the placement of the subject is a very important discussion to be had, because um, if they're in the middle of the photo, then they're sort of the subject of the photo, whereas if the practitioner is not in the center of your photo and is sort of pulled to one side, you actually you end up having this discussion about well, what's, what is actually the point of this photo? Where is it meant to be? It, how important is that? Is that something that you guys consider, don't consider, find important? How do you think about that compositionally? 
Well, there's one many ways to compose a photo um, to drag the attention to the subject. Um, there's more than you can count. Um, centric that's one. You have the rule of thirds, the Fibonacci spiral. There's a lot of ways to compose photos uh, that drags attention to to the subject. It doesn't have to be centered, not at all. I think. Yeah, for me, um, I never really spent any time learning all of these different photo rules. And I think like it's a really difficult way of going to any one situation and then using these formula to try and decide how something is put together. Um, but the, you know, I think Victor will probably agree the intentionality. I mean, he's trying to put here with, with the portraits, there's a very different uh, approach to how I would be shooting in the same location. And I think the, the architecture for me is probably the first thing that will determine what I'm, how I'm looking to compose an image and where the athlete is gonna be within that frame. But also the story you're trying to tell, like if you're, if I'm shooting for Scott Chipsticks and I'm shooting say Chris Grant on his home estate up in Glasgow, um, you know, he's as a figure, he's gonna be quite big within the frame. And he might not always be you know, bang in the middle because I want to leave some space for text or some graphic design or something. Um, but Chris is the most important thing there. And as long as he's seen within his space, then, then you know, obviously the space is going to be a factor in that. But compared to the monuments project, the monuments are so big and the, the situation, like the way, they're, you know, the, the way that they're so isolated very often is a part of their story. So you want to convey some of that as well. So of course, then suddenly the athlete shrinks down uh, just because you've got such a, a different thing to, a different, you know, you've got something completely different to try and convey. Okay. So um, I'm going to start trying to pull this all together and answer the final questions we have, because we've been going for 15 minutes um, and take us on to a slightly different topic, which is a rather interesting one, because um, sometimes people talk about um, the history of parkour as the history of online videos. They talk about uh, parkour and YouTube being thoroughly intertwined. They talk about how the rise of Instagram changed the way we practice parkour. And parkour and video seems to be a really good match because at the end of the day, it's a movement discipline and actually recording the movement seems really important. And yet, for some reason, photography remains really important. Um, why do you think that, what do you, what do you think photography does for parkour that videography can't and why is photography still important in a movement discipline? I think I, to me that is quite quite simple. Um, if I if I may start, are you, are you burning for something? No. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, I was studying. Um, okay, not simple, um, but it's, I have I have uh, some thoughts. Um, I was studying uh, advertising and art direction, uh, like uh, six years ago or something. And I one of my favorite quotes from that that class was that the viewer of your imagery is hello the viewer of your trying, imagery is trying, she's trying to crawl past and she, she failed i'm really sorry to interrupt you victor please carry oh, no worries it was a fun interruption um basically what, what was said that like the um, uh, the viewer of your images or your customers are 
more interested in picking their own notes than they are looking at your images or uh, taking in their uh, mess your message. Um, and especially now in the Instagram and YouTube, we are flooded with content every time. Like if I go into Instagram uh, on my parkour Instagram and were to watch every video there, I would be like just watching videos all day long. Um, a photo doesn't take that much time to, it takes, you can see a photo of a, of a cool parkour move or something like the teacher Brandon. Um, you see that and you have in a matter of seconds, you have taken in the, the, the picture, the, the message and the idea of the photo, like the vibe, the, the, uh, everything. While if it were a movie or a, a short clip, it would take me maybe up to a minute before I can get the full um, message of the video. So basically why I think, not saying that still images are more important, but it's an easier way to reaching out quicker to people that are not that interested or maybe that invested. Um, if, we, if we're only doing videos, then the people not interested in, interested in parkour, they would be like not interested in what's happening. While if we see, they see something quick and realize, well, that's cool. Then we have them interested. They, they may get interested in parkour and what's happening in the image. They want to know more. Um, and I think that like that instant hook on the attention, it's harder to get in a video when we have this short attention span we do in social media right now. And over to Andy. No, that's a good answer. I'm, I'm not really, really <laughs> sure that I have uh, much more to add to that. I mean, obviously with a video, you can't print it and hang it on your wall. You know, it can't mm -hmm. be part of a park or calendar. Um, and the way that it conveys, um, I think, you know, a photograph is, you have a, if it's a photograph of yourself doing something that you're proud of, you have, yes, you can be proud of a showreel and you can be, um, you know, take a lot of pride in, in having put that video together and all of the little moments and the editing and whatever else. But a photograph, I think, um, can be, you can just reach a little bit deeper than uh, a video in that sense. So I think in terms of your own personal connection to uh, a specific moment, a, a photograph can convey a lot more than a video necessarily will, just in terms of, and I don't mean in terms of watching it and getting um, satisfaction from it in, as, at, at an immediate level, but in terms of um, a memento of a certain moment or time of your life or period, uh, or just a collection of friends or yeah, a, a location. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a photo is more tangible in a way. It's easier to have a favorite photo than having a favorite video. In my, in my experience. I wonder if it's something to do with memory as well. Um, mm -hmm. Because we can encode an image much more strongly and accurately than we can encode like continuous things. So maybe it's a case of, um, I'm just thinking about, um, we can sketch up an image in our heads really well. And so if we see something, there's this lovely thing. Um, when you see something that speaks to how your brain has um, encoded it, like how your brain has represented an idea, like your brain is looking and thinking an image is not necessarily a movie. So maybe there's something to be thought of as an image is something that speaks to you as an individual because it's how you remember moments. Yeah, maybe I, I I'm just talking rubbish. Yeah, no, I, I think I think there's truth to the, truth to that. I think the 
there's definitely a much stronger connection between memory and photography than there is with memory and video uh, and the movie mm -hmm. image for whatever reason. Yeah. But uh, it would take a, a person who's smarter than me to really dig into the depths of that, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it's easy to, I, I know how I work with, when it's with moving images. If I'm like at a restaurant and they have a TV, I have to go straight to it and seeing it, but I can't remember what I'm watching. It's like my eyes go to the moving part, but as, as soon as it stops moving, I can't remember what happened. While if I'm looking at like a painting, I can probably recollect it and like I can, even though it doesn't grab me uh, when I'm busy, uh, it still has this, um, the longer I look at it, the more I find. While the movement in a, move, in a, in a video, just then the movement is what, what, what grabs my attention. Everything around the movement just disappears. While I'm looking at a photo, I can see, okay, there's the person doing something, but then there's also all these things that I, if the person were moving, I wouldn't have time to maybe notice them or time to reflect on them. So the, I think in a photo, the more time you spend looking at it, the more meaning it can, it can convey and the more meaning you will get out of it. While in a moving picture, uh, you see the moving thing and then it is gone. Then like it's, the, it's the out of frame or because everything's so fast paced. Cool. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna do about, Hopefully we'll do about a dozen of these actually. I've got quite a lot lined up. Um, but I'd like to just spend, take five minutes at the end um, of each of these, or five minutes at some point during them, just to kind of um, give people some directions on what they should be reading or who they can be listening to or where a lot of your thoughts and inspiration comes from. So do you guys want to give me a list of any authors of note that you want to talk about? You want to give a shout out to people who you think are really influencing these discussions or anyone else you really feel um, might be relevant for the audience to look into further or whose work is really interesting. Yeah, I, I think you should look into that guy uh, down there very much. AndyDay.net. Andy Day, are you, are you down there? Yeah. He's down, he's down there for me. Okay, he's down there for me anyway. Um, and the yellow guy, look into him. He's got a lot of cool stuff writing on the on your in the F-Stoppers blog and your own site, I think. Yeah, so you've got the F-Stoppers so, blog, Andy, obviously. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a photography website that I write for. There's a lot of industry stuff, but also there's tutorials and the occasional kind of uh, more philosophical piece on there as well. But in terms of what we've been talking about today, gosh, I wish you'd given me a bit more preparation and a bit <laughs> more... Um, yeah, a bit more notice on that, just because you know. Yeah, a lot no, of, it's a Mark... question. Say again. Was it was yeah. it in the list? Or oh, maybe it was, and I was just being, I'm just ignorant. Um, oh, you know, what? you know a lot. Oh. You know, I have to credit a lot of what a lot of the thinking that goes into you know analyzing my own work and thinking about photography goes back to Julie Angel. Um, if you want to sit down and read cine parkour, that's going to teach you a lot about parkour and imagery generally. Um, I mean, one thing, if you want to understand visual culture, there's this amazing series of documentaries from 1972 called Ways of Seeing with John Berger. If you just want an introduction to being able to think critically about visual culture, I mean, that is the place to start. And I guess one other person that I'd encourage you to investigate is probably Ian Borden. So Ian Borden is just this phenomenal intellectual. He's um, professor of architecture at uh, UCL, one of the biggest, most prestigious universities in London. 
and um, he writes about skateboarding. And uh, if you want to understand the importance of being physical and, you know, how critical it is for cities to be a place that are full of slightly subversive interactions and places to assert and create an identity through weird practices then and also its relationship with photography and videography as well i mean that's a great place to start i can't remember the name of his first book on skateboarding which was published about 10 15 oh god no more than that 20 years ago uh, but he's got a new one out uh, if it's not out now it's out very soon interesting <clears throat> anything pops up for you victor no, I'm, I'm quite literate in that way. Um, I have a bunch of people that inspires me. Um, like if you want to look up picture, the pictures of um, imageries that uh, inspires me, I think, uh, what's his name, Blair Bunting is a very, he's very good at lighting uh, and action subjects, as well as Tim Tatter. They're both American photographers, more, a bit more to the commercial side than maybe the parkour side but they they do a lot of really really high quality stuff that i try to inspire get inspired and try to bring into my photography and then we have um i always forget her name but she's edi photo on instagram i think uh she said e she with, um, e spelled ed i think it's ed um she is uh, together with one of the farang people that it's also ah, probably... this is Jason Jason Paul's partner Eddie. Eddie yeah, Eddie. I photo. You'll, you'll find it. Eddie I photo. Yeah, oh, Eddie photo I. Eddie yeah. Eddie I photo I. So like in okay. I. Apologies. Um, yeah. she has she has a great amazing portfolio with a lot of really cool really pictures. Good. Um, yeah. Great. You re recently released a book. I haven't read it, but it's apparently really cool. Well, Jess. You've managed to talk about photography for an hour, almost nonstop. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, okay. That was a, a really interesting insight. Um, I think it's quite interesting that you both have different approaches in what you're trying to do, but that you agree on so much. And um, it was really cool to kind of spend a little bit of time listening to you, just think about it and consider it in a way that we sometimes don't get to do. One of my favorite things about the lockdown is that we do get to spend a little bit more time considering things. So it's nice mm -hmm. to kind of wrap those things up. Um, I hope to be able to have another conversation with you guys about photography in front of a live audience at Art of Retreat whenever we do run it. It will either be later this year or next year, depending on how crazy the lockdown is in a few months. Um, but until then, we're going to finish off. Uh, if you guys over on the Facebook live stream don't yet follow, Victor, he's a Grafikeriet, is that how it's pronounced? Close enough, Grafikeriet. Grafikeriet, uh, and then Andy's at Andy Day Photography. Um, and you can follow Art Retreat, you can follow me. Um, somehow, I don't really publish anywhere consistently. In fact, I'm pretty terrible at it, but I do um, have a Facebook presence. Just drop me a line. Um, and I'll be back tomorrow interviewing Natalia Bopakova. Until then, thank you all and goodbye. Yeah, thank you. And if any one of the viewers have any questions, just drop me a line or anything. I think I'm sure Andy thinks the same. Awesome. Uh, speaking it's for you again. A, yeah, it's been an honor, gentlemen, uh, Victor, to be yeah. 
uh, be able to sit down and chat to you. It's always great. I love your work and uh, you're an inspiration thank to me. And John, thank you very much for putting this together. Cool. Yes, thank you much. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. I'm out of here.